0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barkers UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at whether the recent market setback and increasing concerns about rising inflation are warning signs for investors or only short-term market jitters, with Nicky Eggers, Head of Investments, Miles Sherry, Investment Consultant, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment officer. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to this week's Word on the Street. Well, it's been a very interesting week or so across the markets. We're seeing indices even now as we're recording swinging all around the place. But the S&P, which which is the major US index and, and benchmark for performance hit an all-time high last Friday and has been swinging around ever since. So whilst we always say that it is important as an investor to focus on the long term, we do recognize that shorter term activity is both interesting, but also is something that we want to unpick because we want to understand what's driving markets at the moment. So Will, as usual, joined by our trusty CIO team and our trusty CIO. So Will, we had the monthly US jobs report that came out last Friday. And my understanding is that, you know, expectations were around a million new jobs to have been created, but the number actually came in slightly below that. Is that something for us to be concerned about? Uh, yes, I
1: mean, hello, Nikki. It was a big miss as it goes. It was around a million expected, like you said, and uh, the, the number came in sort of, you know a bit over 200,000 in the outcome. Now I think there's probably a few points to make. So first of all, the obvious disclaimer, labor market data tends to be pretty messy, prone to kind of giant revisions after the event. So we don't want to, you know, we want to be wary of paying too much attention to one month of data. You know, if you look at the three-month trend for example, the sense is still that the labor market is is, is still recovering pretty briskly. The other point to make, and I think, you know, there's just a couple of things, further things to bear in mind. Uh, we've pointed out before that this crisis has forced the US and global economy, UK included, to, you know, change, adapt substantially. Um, so the digital leap forward that everyone's talked about may well have changed the nature and number of jobs available. Uh, some people will be trying to find, you know, very different jobs to the ones they left back at, you know, during last year with very different skill requirements, potentially. Uh, and that could easily be complicating the kind of match- making process between firms and uh, prospective employees. Some are also arguing um, that the generosity of the emergency unemployment insurance scheme in the US is creating some difficulties. Uh, so the unemployed, some argue, are essentially not incentivized to come out of unemployment, at least until September when that support fades a little bit. You know, maybe. I wouldn't want to overplay this particular point personally. There are around 10 million people on the sidelines in terms of the US job market. Um, and I think around 3.5 million of them are currently claiming unemployment insurance. So it's not going to explain everything. I think the main point though for me is that you know this is this is you know an incredible crisis you know it, it, what's happened in the in the labor market is incredible the number of unemployed that you've still got is comparable to the world even after incredible gains um, in employment that we've seen since the recovery began the number of unemployment you've got still in the US is comparable to the worst point of the great financial crisis you know that giant recession in our rearview mirror a decade ago so we are seeing in the US, what the furlough schemes are clearly obscuring to a certain degree in the Europe, and, Europe and the UK, this crisis really was, you know, a gigantic hit to the labour market. And I think that's uh, and that hit is going to take some time to unwind. I think those are the points that I broadly make.
2: Just chipping in on that, Will, it, it was a big miss, as you said. But going back to what Nikki said at the start, the market moved higher after that jobs report and reached a new, new all time high. Now, that will seem pretty odd to many. And I think more generally, this is something that investors really often struggle to, to get their heads around. So why markets occasionally rise when data actually falls below expectations. And some perhaps may have heard the term bad news is good news before. That, again, may sound a little bit odd. But is the thinking here perhaps that because the report came in slightly below what was expected, markets on the day essentially priced in. Less chance that the U.S. central bank, or so the Federal Reserve, may need to raise interest rates, perhaps earlier than originally thought.
1: Yeah, maybe was. Hi there, and um, you know, I personally, I'm always a bit wary of kind of linking market moves to news headlines too precisely. You know, I guess market boards like myself, that's kind of our job to try and sort of make the <laughs> link. But you know. We tend to think that, you know, I mean, from our perspective, you know, talking to the guys, we, we were already thinking that the market had got a little too excited about the potential uh, for rate rises in the US in any case. So maybe that was a bit of a correction. But again, I, I'd be wary of kind of being too strong on that uh, at that point, though that was certainly sort of, you know, what the talking heads were, the link the talking heads were making.
0: And Miles, to your point there, you know, we saw we saw the all-time highs on, on Friday in the US. And since then, the UK market, the FTSE 100, being, being the top 100 stocks in the UK, that, that fell quite considerably on Tuesday, so 2% or so. And that was, from what I read, being attributed mainly from inflation fears coming from the data coming out of China.
2: Yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? And again, recording this on Thursday, the, the FTSE is currently down. Again, it looks uh, another percent or so. and look, This is certainly something a few clients, not surprisingly, have have picked up on. It has, after all been all over the news but remember though it all makes for good headlines which can at times be a little bit clickbait let's not let's not forget that and this must also be taken of course in the context of generally positive returns so far this year we drum home this message all the time but occasional short term daily or even weekly price swings are very much part and parcel of that long term investment journey so very very much Expected. But it did get me thinking, Nikki, because as we've said before, the next couple of months will likely see higher inflation numbers. After all, we are comparing, say, inflation in April this year versus April last year, when of course it was non existent, right? Given the first yeah. lockdown had just come into play. Markets know that. It, it's hardly a secret, let's be frank. So why will do you think they got jittery this week, particularly given when looking under the bonnet? the real inflationary pressures originally seemed to be stemming around rising commodity prices. And again, we all know how the oil price briefly turns negative last year. So surely this is not overly surprising and something markets really should be expecting. And then just following on from that, again, yesterday we had the monthly inflation data out of the US. Headlines again are talking about the fastest increase in consumer prices since 2008. And then again, at face value, that all sounds really quite alarming. But again, some of this is surely just base effects. Admittedly, of course, the reading was above estimates, but some of this also seems to have been exasperated by the pretty well-known recent supply chain issues we've seen. Used car prices, for example, seem to have particularly spiked, as it seems supply of new cars uh, has slowed, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, there's a lot in there, Miles, and you're right. You know, commodity prices have certainly soared this year with this you know, restocking and reopening trade. And the point on commodity prices I would make is that, you know, remember that the direct effect of commodity prices on developed world consumer shopping baskets, tends to be quite small. And in order for this upwards pressure on inflation to be sustained beyond this year, which is really what we're looking for, I guess, you know, a change in the in the trend in inflation uh, away from the last few decades of, you know, disinflation, in order for that to be sustained, like I say, you'd have to see that rate of change in commodity prices continue or even accelerate. Now, that remains, you know, quite unlikely to us, I have to admit, particularly in the context of kind of reasonable assessments on the outlook for demand and supply and the major commodities like oil, copper, iron ore and so on. Now, more broadly, you know, the success of the various vaccination campaigns has dragged forward a bit of inflationary pressure in the US, like as you allude to that US CPI this week. However, I think the really important point is it it's what lies beyond this reopening surge that is really important to consider for the outlook for the markets, interest rates and and so on. We'd always counsel humility there. But you know, if you think about it, there's there's a little bit of a supply-side choke in the services sector expected. You know, people in the US and elsewhere are gonna to want to go out to restaurants and go on holidays, and that might confer a bit of pricing power temporarily on some of those companies operating in those sectors as labour shortages in those areas has kind of passed through to consumers. But will that sustain? Will that be the case once everything gets back to, you know, whatever normality awaits us on the other side of this pandemic? And those are, you know, big and unanswerable questions from our current vantage point. We're only guessing. And from our perspective, we're still sort of on the sceptical side of that. We still think that probably, you know, that the base case is that this is a temporary spike in inflation rather than anything more uh, durable and sustained.
0: And Mars, you mentioned earlier the reverse of the received wisdom that bad news is good news. We, we're we sort of seeing market concern building about could this mean that rate hikes might come so earlier than anticipated to, to try to cool down the economy with inflation being a, a, a sort of growing concern. You know, if we do see that, we, we might see some bumps in the road. But is the team well thinking that you know over the medium to long term this could be digestible by markets, or is this something that we really need to keep a close eye on as as being the indigestion that 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 this could cause?
1: Yeah, I mean it's certainly significant, isn't it, Nikki? I mean, I, you know, if there is a change in the path of sort of expected interest rates, and there are parts of the global capital markets complex, which had maybe become a little bit too wedded to the idea that inflation was a, you know, a beaten foe, a relic yeah. of the 80s, you know, like me, uh, <laughs> and therefore a <laughs> beaten foe as well. Yeah. And therefore, you know, interest rates would remain low for the, you know, for the foreseeable. Now, some of the jostling you're seeing in markets today and over the last weeks, you know, you conceivably be associated with investors reinserting what's called An inflation risk premium, basically a bit of extra compensation in the purchase price of a lot of these assets, to reward or compensate investors for the risk that inflation might surprise positively. Now, that's not necessarily an unhealthy development. In all honesty, you know that's that's you know a slightly more two-way debate on inflation. That's not the end of the uh, the end of days, but like I say, it can create a little bit of uncertainty in the short run because we've all become quite used to the idea that inflation and interest rates are just. Going to remain low for, for a while, yeah. And we've always been challenging that view, but it looks like this is a time when the when the rest of the world is kind of waking up to the idea as well a bit.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we've we've talked a bit about you know what's going on in the, at the moment with respect to inflation concerns, what might that mean for interest rates? Obviously, we've got the political environment, vaccine news, variant news. There's there's a there's an awful lot going on. But as a team, you guys. Provide us the sort of clarity around where to make adjustments within funds and por- portfolios to to try to at least focus where where there are sensible shorter term opportunities, but you know when you're assessing these, what are the key points that you're focusing on at the moment and and that perhaps our listeners. Could also spend more time focusing on rather than all this information and noise. It's quite hard to see the wood for the trees. I suppose, of course, given you know where we are with the coronavirus around the world, uh, vaccine rollout will be a sort of key component of how the global economy can remain open and stay open. What What are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's good points, Nikki. I mean, I think it's very easy to get whipsawed about by you know by Markets who can feel, uh, you know, plunged around by the godforsaken sea, and I, and I think you know, particularly if you're trying to link incoming news to buy sell opportunities, you know, a good example of this is March last year. You know, it's not, you know, the the the, the incredible kind of dizzying rally in stock markets that began back in March of last year did not begin suddenly when the news flow necessarily improved or the outlook suddenly looked brighter and the pandemic was, you know, that th- things were sort of getting better and the, the economy looked like it was going to improve. It was actually when the news post just got a little bit less bad. The worst cases were slightly minimised and that allowed people to sl- slightly change the range of expectations uh, that they were embedding into market prices. And I think the point about that was that nobody felt like buying stocks at the time. And I think the real points that i would make here is two things one in my opinion and this is self-serving as always but this is a full-time job for dedicated people looking at it all the time it's not something you can do part-time off the side of your desk we have a team of people looking at markets full-time to do the tactical allocation portion of the portfolio uh, and it's it's hard work you know it's it's a hugely competitive game played by hundreds of thousands of professional investors trying to scoop up basis points of extra performance. There are no easy big wins here uh, or obvious inefficiencies to target. And the second point is that this is an activity that we do at the corners, the edges, the fringes of your portfolios of multi-asset class funds, because we could never muster sufficient confidence in our particular vision of the future, range of, you know, futures to sort of to, to to trade more than that fringe of the portfolio so really we're just trying to add tens of basis points per annum with this activity this is not something we go all in all out or anything like that it's much more considered and much more restrained than that i think that's broadly the killjoy points i'd make on it
2: and just a just a brief follow-on there will there's there is so much as Nikki said going on that even earning season actually seems to have taken a little bit of a backseat in the old news pecking order. Now, I know the team tend to pay little attention to this, but it is something that I find clients occasionally ask about. And we have also seen some blowout numbers in truth. And so maybe this is slightly more relevant at the moment, at least in terms of seeing what the management teams of the companies are saying about their views on the outlook. So what is essentially often referred to as forward guidance. And so as things stand, around about 90% or so, of the firms in the S&P 500 index have now reported their first quarter earnings. And it actually all feels really quite positive at the moment, adding on to the fact that the typical trend is for expectations to be moved downward, but it's actually been the reverse so far, hasn't it?
1: Yes, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's not that we don't pay any attention to this. It's just that in terms of a sort of trading signal, these things are of less use than often advertised, I think. I mean, the way that I often, my old mentor and boss used to describe it was a game of cat and mouse between chief executives and analysts. And analysts are trying to guess the number, incredibly sophisticated, educated guesses, of course, based on uh, lots of models and so on. Lots of complex modeling with regards to the company profits. And analysts are trying to guess the uh, the quarterly profits numbers and and, uh, and get it right. And CEOs are, you know, there to guide them to a certain extent uh, to what that right number is to their best their best three. Now, generally, what you find is chief executives gives themselves, you know, an aggregate and easy, sometimes an easy bar to hop over so that they know that they can announce a beat on the day in terms of earnings expectations. Uh, that's not necessarily cynical. It's just that, you know, it's conservative guidance, you know, managing expectations. that's uh, the right way to go. But what that means, in a sense, is that you don't want to pay too much attention to it. And the market has long since got an, its own idea of uh, what earnings are going to look like. And it's not often the same as the analyst expectations. And, and, and this earnings season is a good example, actually. You've seen absolutely stellar earnings. And they've landed with a bit of a thud on market expect- on, on the market, haven't it? It's not like you've seen huge further surges in the share price, because these this very strong quarter has long since been priced into markets.
0: I guess Miles, just what I'm hearing from Will is is a is a broadly optimistic outlook for the rest of the year, although keeping keeping a, a sort of weather eye on on what's going on. But if we do continue to see markets rise, investors will, you know, presumably see that as a reason to stay on the sidelines and you know, that that is often something that we talk about on this podcast, because it is human nature, you know, human nature, there's the fear of missing out. But there's also the bigger fear, which is I don't want to make a mistake, or what I perceive to be a mistake. Are there any points that you can share with our listeners around how to think about this?
2: <laughs> always the way Nikki, always the way and look, I completely get it. As you say, it is a significant emotional barrier to to overcome, really. But I think the first thing I point to is actually that Robin Luke made some very good points here a couple of weeks ago on this, looking at the sell in May adage. Well worth a listen if you have not already. But Alan and Josh from the team are actually also working on an article at the moment to unpick a little bit more of this in the context of historical market performance around all time highs. And so, as listeners have heard countless times before, new all time highs, and Will is always making this point, they really should be the norm, not the exception. If you, of course, take the view that most surely would, that as we get better at essentially making stuff and doing so more efficiently, profits and therefore share prices should over the long term rise. An interesting point, though, that Alan and Josh do make uh, to add some context to this is whilst we, of course, need to be very wary of solely looking at history. If you look at, say, the S&P 500 in the US since nineteen fifty the index has actually been within 5% of a new all-time high, just under 45% of the time. So that really does suggest, right, that this is very much the norm, not the exception. And they also then looked at performance of the index over the next 12-month period, when the S&P was within both 5% of a high, or also more than 5% away from the high. Now, as we know, past performance is, of course, not a reliable indicator of the future. And this is, of course, just looking at one stock market index. But the takeaway here is there is minimal difference in subsequent annual returns. So whilst all-time highs, of course, sound scary for long-term investors, they really should not serve as too much of a, too much of a deterrent.
0: Uh, really interesting those those stats. I, I didn't I didn't know that that was that was the scale of it. But intuitively, as you say, whether it's you've got to be in it uh, to win it, but but more often than not, all time highs will be made just by the natural course of markets. But but as as Will often states, you know, the, the sooner that you take that leap of faith to the, you know, to the amount that is reasonable, and you have the capacity for, the better your chance of harvesting some of those those returns that come from our increased productivity, humanity's ability to continue to innovate. So, plenty as ever to to be thinking about, and for our listeners. I'd just remind what Will said earlier that whilst it's our job to to watch everything day in, day out, for many for, for most investors, it's a case of having a diversified exposure and uh being patient, sitting pretty is probably the best advice that not that it's personal advice, but the best <laughs> pointer we can give. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Will, Miles, thanks very much. Enjoy your weekend when it comes. And uh, we'll speak to you all again next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.